Good to see y'all today. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at North Star. And uh, we are just glad that you have joined us uh, to, to be here today. Uh, a lot of exciting things going on in church, a lot of activities. You know, uh, Troy mentioned about Fall Fest coming up. Uh, it's two months away, uh, but there's a lot of planning and preparation that goes in with that. You'll be able to hear um, in the next few weeks of how you can be involved with that other than just bringing candy. Because uh, see, that's a cool thing about Fall Fest. You can bring candy and you can do a whole bunch of other things. So uh, there's a lot of fun with that. Uh, don't forget Serve Day coming up uh, this Saturday. We've got signups for uh, the, the list as far as for going on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, a lot of things happen. I'm getting signals from the booth and, and understanding what that means, but we're good. Um, a lot of things going on that you can be involved in as far as for with our classes and stuff. So I uh, just encourage you to plug in and be involved with what God is doing here at North Star. Um, you saw with the video there that we're going to be talking uh, about community today. And as we uh, begin to, to kick that off, uh, we're going to be looking in Jeremiah chapter 38 going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 38 uh, as, we, as we talk about uh, community today. Um, just to give you a little bit of a background to catch you up with where things are happening there in the book of Jeremiah, if you go back and are looking in, say like in First or Second Kings, and you may have heard uh, pastors or other teachers talking about this, they talk about a divided kingdom. Uh, you've got the nation of Israel and you've got the nation of Judah, and what exactly does that mean? Well, remember King David was king over all of Israel. This is after the, the Israelites, they, you know, they left Egypt, uh, they wandered around uh, in, the, in the desert for 40 years, and they eventually move into the promised land, and you've got judges that are ruling over the people uh, for a period of time, and they, remember they asked for a king, King Saul was the first king, and we had some issues there, but remember David came, and it was uh, just a fantastic kingdom of, of how God had uh, brought his people together. David's son Solomon became the next king, and Solomon, remember uh, his, his, his wisdom and his riches and his wealth and everything that was going on there. Well, after Solomon died, he had a son, and there was, began to be some divisions, and he wanted to rule one way, and the people said, no, that's, you know, that's just crazy, and the kingdom ended up being split. And so you've got two kingdoms. So when you're looking uh, from Kings um, and then also in the book of Chronicles and as you start reading uh, the major and minor prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, Hosea and Joel, they're talking about the nation of Israel and then they're talking about the nation of Judah. At that time, those are two separate nations. So you've got two tribes that are together for the nation of Judah. One of those tribes was Judah, of course, but then also the tribe of, of Benjamin. And they are centered there, uh, their, their capital, their headquarters is there in Jerusalem. So when you see you talking about the nation of Judah, that's referring to those two tribes. You see talking about the nation of Israel, then it's the other ten. So at this point in time, they are separated. They've got their own kings. They've got their own armies. They've got their own thing. And the bad thing about it all is they're all being disobedient to God. And that is why God says to the people, he says, look, if you don't straighten up, you've got time to repent. You've got time to, to, to go back to following me. And um, they didn't. And so you saw prophets come and call, they had a call to repent or a call to get their attention and their focus back on God and it just never happened. So God said, all right, because you're not being faithful to me, because you're not being obedient, you're going to go uh, into bondage again. And we see that the nation of Babylon, also known as the Chaldeans, are going to come and take over the people and they're going to be um, in, in, in bondage for time. We had talked about Daniel uh, a few weeks ago. That's that time period of, of, of bondage when they were in Babylon that, that's happening. So when Jeremiah, who we're going to be looking at for the first part of our message today, 
Jeremiah is prophesying at that tail end of that time before the nation of Judah uh, goes into bondage. So he's, he's prophesying, he's doing his stuff in around 627 to about 586 BC. So he's, he's uh, being a prophet for about 40 years and he's prophesying in that tail end of that time before uh, the nation of Judah goes into captivity uh, in Babylon. So, and here's the cool thing uh, about Jeremiah as he's talking and he's preaching. He's, he tells the people, and the main theme of his message is, it's too late. It is too late for you. Uh, he, he, he's preaching a judgment against the people. He's talking about how uh, they're going to get punished for all the things that they had done. Not exactly a prosperity gospel uh, type of speaker here. I mean, his, 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 his message was basically one of doom and gloom because of everything that had happened. Um, now, here's, here's the thing, though, about Jeremiah. If you go back to Jeremiah chapter 1, we see in, in there uh, the call of Jeremiah. And God calls him to be a prophet. Uh, even, even as a young boy, he's called to be a prophet. And God tells him on the front end, Jeremiah, I'm going to put a message in your mouth. And the message that I'm putting in your mouth, the message that you're supposed to tell the people is not an exactly uh, an exciting, uplifting message. You know, he is, God told him, he said, look, um, you're going to preach about my judgment. You're going to preach about how the people are going to be punished. But God also says, look, I'm going to protect you from your enemies in the midst of you preaching what will be seen by many as negative words, as a, as a negative take on everything. I'm still going to be there for you. I'm still going to protect you. I'm still going to provide for you. But I'm also going to give you a message of hope. And he says the message that you're going to tell the people with that is for their need to repent, for their need to come back and that they are going to have the opportunity to come back to me and I still am going to restore them. They're going to be in bondage for 70 years. There's going to be that period of time where that happens. But I am still going to restore the nation of Israel. This is just what's coming. So tell the people to be prepared for it, that it's happening. But I still want you to turn your eyes and turn your, uh, your focus back towards me. So that's the message that Jeremiah is speaking to the people. Now here's what's happened culturally and politically at the time. The people have completely turned their backs on God. There's gross immorality and there's uh, gross idolatry. They are worshiping false gods and false idols. Uh, their, their morality is just against everything of God. Hence why they were going into bondage, why God was punishing them for their disobedience to, to him. The leaders at the time, the re religious leaders were corrupt. The kings were corrupt. Uh, all of the, the other prophets, they were not listening to God and paying attention to him. So Jeremiah is one of the, the lone voices that is speaking out to the people saying, this is what you need to do to get your, your heart's focus and your attention back on God. So that's kind of laying the groundwork as far as for what is happening uh, there at the time and the message that Jeremiah has. So this is where we're going to pick up. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 38 beginning in verse 1. So this is the tail end of, of Jeremiah. Um, it's, it's getting close to that time where the people are going to be uh, going into captivity. In fact, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they are encircling the city of Jerusalem. They are outside of town and they are, uh, they're looking to invade. So uh, chapter 38, beginning in verse 1. Now, Shephatiah, son of Matan, Gedaliah, son of Pashur, Jukal, son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. 
There's not going to be a test on all those names, so we're just going to keep going. All right. Uh, verse 2, it says, thus says the Lord. This is the message um, that, that God is saying Jeremiah to preach to the people. He says, thus says the Lord, those who stay in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But those who go out to the Chaldeans shall live. They shall have their lives as a prize of war and live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. So what Jeremiah is saying, this is, this is the message that God has for him. He said, look, if you stay in the city, you're going to die. Either by famine, by pestilence, by the sword, one of those ways you are going to die. So, yes, the Babylonians are outside. Yes, they're promising captivity for you. But that's the route route that you need to go. You need to go with them because if you stay in the city of Jerusalem, you're going to die. So, verse 4. Then the officials, this is all the other religious leaders and the government leaders. This is what they're saying. It says, then the officials said to the king, This man, talking about Jeremiah, this man ought to be put to death because he is discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city and all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of the people, but their harm. So in verse 5, King Zedekiah says, here he is, he is in your hands, for the king is powerless against you. So they took Jeremiah and they threw him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. Now there was no water in the cistern, but only mud, and Jeremiah sank in the mud. Now realize what's happening here. Jeremiah is given a message from God, and so he preaches exactly what God tells him to preach. And because of it, the other leaders and rulers say, we want to kill the guy. He is discouraging the people. He's saying bad things. He's, you know, the army is going to get discouraged. You know, the army, we need them ready to fight and, and to take over king of Babylon, which from a, a realistic perspective, wasn't going to happen. Uh, Babylon was just basically taking over the known world at the time, and they did not stand a chance. But they didn't want to be discouraged. So Jeremiah is saying this, and the leader saying, look, he needs to be put to death for what he's doing and what he's saying. Now, as we take a, a little sidestep here, isn't that just like life? Um, Jeremiah is doing what he's supposed to be doing. Not just that, Jeremiah is doing for God what God told him to do. But it, didn't, it wasn't working out so good at the time. He was having to bear these consequences. He was being punished for it. People were against everything he said. And he was just trying to do the right thing. And he ended up in a pit because of it. Um, have you ever been in a pit before? You know, sometimes things happen and, you know, we, we didn't do anything wrong. It's not like, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to end up in a pit because we made all these mistakes. You know, we, we were, you know, living a life that was, that was ungodly, that we were living in disobedience to God, and these bad things happen. You know, we don't like it, but, but we get that. We get it's like, you know, this was my mistake because I did these things wrong, ended up in this pit. But that didn't happen with Jeremiah. He ended up there just because he was being faithful and obedient to God. And, you know, because we live in a fallen world, um, that happens. Because we have to interact with other people, because they make mistakes, sometimes the splatter of their mistakes um, gets up on us, and we have to deal with the consequences of other people's mistakes. You know, we like to think that life is fair, but life's not fair. You know, we... Things happen to us even though we may not deserve him. And we find ourselves in a pit just like Jeremiah 
uh, was in a pit here in this story. All right, verse 7. Abedmelech the Ethiopian, a eunuch in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the cistern. The king happened to be hitting... uh, the king happened to be sitting at the Benjamin gate. So Abedmelech left the king's house and spoke to the king. My lord king, he said, these men have acted wickedly and all that they did to the prophet Jeremiah by throwing him into the cistern to die there of hunger. For there is no bread left in the city. Then the king commanded Abedmelech the Ethiopian, take three men with you from here and pull the prophet Jeremiah up from the cistern before he dies. So Abedmelech took the men with him And went to the house of the king to a wardrobe of the storehouse and took from there old rags and worn out clothes, which he let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. Then Abedmelech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, just put the rags and clothes and claws uh, beneath your armpits and between your armpits and the ropes. Jeremiah did so. Then they drew Jeremiah up out of the ropes and pulled him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. All right, if you're paying attention, we said earlier that we were talking about community. And you're like, okay, where's he going? This is where we're going. Jeremiah was in the pit. Abedmelech saw that Jeremiah was in the pit. And it bothered him so much that he said, I got to do something. You know, a lot of times we see things in life, we see problems, we see other people around us in distress, and it bothers us. But does it bother us enough to go to action, to actually do something about it? It bothered Abimelech so much that Jeremiah was in the pit that he said, I've got to do something. So he went to the king, he got permission, he got some guys to help him. And they came to Jeremiah and they didn't condemn him. They said, look, why why are you doing what God said? Why are you preaching this? No, they, they just got him out of the pit. And you see, that's what it's like to be a part of biblical community. You see, that's what the church is supposed to do. You see, God's desire for us is not to grow the church, but to be the church. Let me say that again. God's desire for us is not to grow the church, but to be the church. And part of being the church is how we respond to one another and how we act as being a part of community. It's not just seeing people and waving and smiling and saying it's all good. It's being a part of a call to action. And I love how Jesus points this out. I think Jesus is calling us to something even higher um, than what was God's original purpose for community. The idea of biblical community amongst God's people goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 when God calls Abraham to be um, his one that through him he was going to bless the entire world. He begins the uh, the premise there, the idea of God's people being in community. So it was going to be Abraham and everybody that came after him and the people that, 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 that followed him and through Moses and through all the prophets, we see all these things that the nation of Israel was supposed to be God's people serving together and in community one, uh, with one another. But Jesus takes it to another notch. And he says, this is what I want you to do. In John chapter 13, verse 34, um, this is when Jesus uh, is in the upper room. He has just washed the disciples' feet. Um, He's basically kind of without everybody really realizing it, 
kind of called out Judas Iscariot saying, look, you know, you're fixing to betray me. I know this, what you're going to do, go ahead and do. So Judas leaves and he is there with the remainder of the, the 11 disciples. So he's in the upper room, he's beginning to teach them. And then he's going to go into a series of, of, of prayers and, and, and teachings for the disciples in those last moments that he's with them. But listen to what Jesus says in John 13, verse 34. He says, I give you a new commandment. Which is translation, Jesus saying, look, I'm fixing to kick it up a notch from what you've been taught before. And he says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. And pay attention to what he says in verse 35. He says, by this, meaning your love for one another, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. You see, what Jesus is, is telling the disciples and he's teaching there and said, look, when you do this, there's going to be something so radical about the way that you are showing your love for one another that the entire world is going to take notice. And because they're taking notice of the way that you interact with one another and the way that you love with one another, it is going to distinguish you from everybody else. And they're going to know that you're following me. They're going to know that you are connected to me because of your love for one another. Now, keep this in mind. Jesus also told us that we're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be salt into a world that needs flavoring, that there needs to be, that there needs to be seasoning. Uh, we're still supposed to be light. We're supposed to be that light on a hill that's pointing people uh, to Jesus, that they're going to notice that difference. And we're called attention uh, to those that are lost, that are in, their, in need of salvation. Jesus is not moving away from that, and I'm not calling for us to do that either. We are supposed to be very much uh, ministry-minded on our community, as far as the outside community of the church. We're supposed to uh, be looking for people in need. We're supposed to be ministering to the lost. But Jesus said, people are going to know that you're following me by the love that you have for one another. You see, good things and good deeds, lost people can do those. Lost people are able to do those things. Uh, we see a lot of uh, billionaires that, you know, they're able to throw millions of dollars at different needs in communities to universities, and they're able to do benevolent things. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but they're still lost. The reason that they're doing it is maybe for a personal satisfaction. Um, you know, they see needs and they want to do something about it. That's not a bad thing. But when the church is doing those good things and we are showing our love to one another, that's when people realize, hey, the reason why you're doing that is because of Jesus. Because of a commitment and a love for Jesus, you have that. And you must be following him because of the way that you act and react uh, with one another. When we look at that mindset, when we look at that way of, of life, that's what we talk about when, we, when we're talking about biblical community. Uh, the, um, in the New Testament, the Greek word uh, for it is uh, koinonia. And when we hear about koinonia, uh, we hear about, you know, we think about that, it, it translates as fellowship. And we think of fellowship, um, well, depending on your church background, when you think of fellowship, there's a hall involved and there's a bunch of tables and there's like covered dishes on them. And that's fellowship. You know, that's where we have our fellowship. There's where we do that. And, but I think when we look biblically and what God is calling us to do as far as for, for within biblical fellowship and biblical koinonia, it's just so much different than, than just sitting together and having a covered dish meal once every three months 
or, you know, we have this time uh, in some churches and background, you may have had like 45 seconds in the church where we can fellowship with one another in the middle of the service and we shake hands and say hi and you can't have any deep conversations in 45 seconds. Um, but, but that's kind of that mindset. But I think Jesus is calling us to something so much deeper and so much more precious in his mind and sight. And it's that, that true mindset of true biblical community, true biblical koinonia. So where do we do that? Where does that happen? Well, uh, in the early church, we see that happening in Acts chapter 2. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, we see that uh, Jesus is ascended back into heaven, and now it's the disciples. And they're like, okay, what's next? <laughs> and, and Jesus basically told them, okay, y'all just go back to Jerusalem and y'all wait for what's next. So that's what they're doing. Well, we see that uh, the day of Pentecost happens. Uh, Peter is preaching there in the temple and he is filled with the Holy Spirit and he just preaches. He just goes after it and he lays out the truth of the gospel. And on that day, 3,000 people were saved once they realized that Jesus who came, that they had just crucified, was the risen Messiah and that they were to follow him. So um, 3,000 people were saved on one day. And this is what begins to happen in that early church. Uh, Acts 2 uh, and verse 44. So all who believe, these are all these new believers, all these, these new Christians, the disciples, those that had been following Jesus beforehand. It says, all who believed were together and they had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, this is key here in verse 46, day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to the number those who, who were being saved. So looking at the model here, as far as for what was happening in the early church, they were coming together. Where did they have that koinonia? Where did they have that fellowship? Well, first of all, in 46, it says day by day as they spent much time together in the temple. Uh, it was the early days of the church. They hadn't quite been kicked out of the temple yet. That day was coming in the days and weeks ahead because no longer were they uh, worshiping the Old Testament God. They were now uh, worshiping Jesus and following him. So a little bit of difference in beliefs there. But at this time, they were still coming together in the temple. When we look at the places that we're supposed to be doing biblical community, this is it. 40,000 square feet that God has given us for the chance that we are able to do community together. Now, part of that is here through our times of worship, uh, where we are able to see one another. Uh, we're here gathered for worship, and we have times for interaction before and afterwards. Uh, some of you during, but, you know, we won't talk about that a whole lot. Uh, but this is one of the places that we're supposed to be experiencing biblical community. We do it when we leave this room and we have opportunities here within this building to be able to serve with one another. Uh, as we are involved with other church activities where we're maybe serving in our community, it's things that we are doing together that we have the opportunity to experience biblical community. Times together when we eat. We have trips. Uh, a couple weekends ago, a bunch of guys went to a men's conference that are up in Nashville. Those are opportunities that we have to experience biblical community. God's desire for us when we come to worship together as his body of believers is not for us just to walk in the door, wave at a couple folks, sit down, and then on our way out, wave at a couple more, and just, boom, be done with our week. You know, God's desire for us as his body was to have that interaction with one another. 
have interaction uh, with, with those in the community. Another way that we're able to do that is through our small groups. Uh, that's part of the purpose of our small group ministry, of that doing life together and carrying out those things that we see there in Acts chapter 2 of, of studying God's Word together and breaking bread together and having fellowship with one another. It's an opportunity that we have to move what we call from rows, you know, where everybody is kind of sitting, focused in one place, uh, to move into circles where we're all focused on one another and we have that time for interaction. So those are all different places of where biblical community is supposed to take place. But in verse 46, it gives an example of another place where it's supposed to happen. So they were doing it within the temple. And then it says, they broke bread at home. That means none of them were living at the temple. They found times to fellowship and have community with one another outside of what they were doing as a part of the church. Now again, small groups is a part of that. But... I think God wants us to have so much more interaction in, 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 in relationships with one another than things that are just involved with what we're doing here as a part of the church. Um, when we see biblical community, and some of you experience it, it's more than just doing things that we're gathered together because we're part of North Star. It's the things that we're doing because we're gathered together. We have that common bond of that relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that community, we're doing things together. Some of you have friends within the church, and you'll go out to eat together or you'll go on vacations together or there's a ball game coming up and we're going to grill out want to have a few folks over and so you're inviting other people to be a part of it it's not just stuff that happens at the church it's it it's the things that happen as we're just doing regular life uh, some of you would work with other people uh, that, that attend North Star. And so you have those relationships with folks that are based on those, those work relationships as well. You see, God calls us to have those relationships. And what it's doing is it's building those friendships and those relationships because we, we have that, uh, that common bond of the relationship with Christ. You see, God wants us to have deeper relationships with one another. And here's something very interesting. When you look back at verse 47, uh, it says that they were praising God and they were having the goodwill of all the people. So they're coming together. They're having that fellowship. They're having that true community. They're doing it inside the church. They're doing it outside of the church. And this is what the result of it was. Into 47, it says, And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So when you look at this passage, what it's saying here is church growth began to happen as the people were doing community together. You see, God's not calling us to grow the church. We can't. Let me take that back. We can. We can do things to get a crowd and have people coming and to grow the church. But the problem with it is that growth is temporary. God is the one that adds to the church. And as you're looking here in the early church, it talks about the people were saved, and then God is the one that is adding to the church. But once the church is being the church and doing the things that the church is supposed to be doing, God will grow the church and people will be saved because they notice something different. John 13, 35, where Jesus said, people know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. People notice that, they're attracted to it. Yes, they hear the gospel message of salvation. They realize that they're sinners and they need to have that relationship with God. But something draws them to the church. And Jesus says it's going to be your love for one another. And God says that when that happens, we'll see the model of it in the early church, that when it happens, uh, the church grows and people are saved. So what exactly does community look like? When we're truly experiencing biblical community, what does that look like? 
Colossians 3, uh, Paul's writing, and he's given a, a command uh, to the church there at Colossae, and this is what he's saying to them. He's saying, as God's chosen ones, meaning that's the church. He's talking to believers here. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to believers that are there at the church. He said, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, all of that, especially in the first, in verse 12, when, when Paul's talking about clothing yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, those are all qualities that we're supposed to have, but they're carried out when we interact with one another. All of these things that Paul is telling the, the, the church here as far as for how they're supposed to act to forgive one another, you can't forgive another member of the body if you're not in enough contact with them to do something that's going to upset them. And I think a lot of times our mindset is we go to church and we don't want to be involved, we don't want to communicate with folks, and we're missing out on the community God has. What Paul is saying here is God's idea for the church is for you to be rubbing shoulders with each other so much and so many times in so many different ways that you're going to deal with those things that happen in those close relationships. Just like in a family, Mom, dad, kids, mom, kids, however, however your, your family dynamic works out. Because you're in the house together all day, every day, you're going to do those things that, yeah, things are going great, but other times you're going to be rubbing each other the wrong way because those are just the things that happen within family. And what Paul is saying here is like, look, all of these things, you're supposed to be loving one another and forgiving one another and having compassion. And sometimes you see somebody that you love that's doing something wrong and you have to admonish them and, in a loving way. You say, look, you know, I, I see a struggle here. You know, that's that's not how a believer is supposed to act. Just like his parents, we, we correct our kids because we're able to see those things in their lives. And so in a loving way, we, we're helping to mold their behavior. And all of those things, the only way that they can happen is if we're in community together. If we are being a part of the body and having that, that interaction um, with one another within the church. You see, I think a lot of people, they like the church but they're not really experiencing biblical community. They like the idea of going someplace and being able to worship, but they don't really want to interact with anybody else. And if you're doing that, you're, you're not just missing out on what God has planned for you, but there's a level of disobedience because God tells you this is what we're supposed to be doing. Now, we know it's happening because we're able to see it. Um, and, and a lot of people, they, they purposefully plan uh, their service attendance in this way you know if you come here for the second or third song and you slip in when the lights are off and then when the band comes out and they're doing that last song you slip out again um you know you're probably not really serious about biblical community because you're missing those opportunities when you're able to interact with others within the body of christ now if you're brand new to north star you know we we, we get that and you know, they're, it's sometimes difficult going to some place for the first time. And we understand that. But if you've been coming for five or six years and that's your routine, 
You know, it's one thing if you've got preschoolers. If you've got preschoolers in the house and you can't get someplace on time, church in the morning, we understand, been there, done that. Um, I remember just because I've been serving in, 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 in churches, I would always go early to the early service and my wife, Jenny, she'd have to get up and get, get the kids ready by herself when they were little bitty babies. That was hard. And so we get that. Sometimes it's hard to always be on places on time when you've got littles. But if your littles are in college and you are purposefully missing out on community, then you're missing out on what God has for you. You are not truly a part of the church because you are missing what God has in store for you. You see, God wants us to move from surface relationships to deep relationships. God wants us to move from surface relationships to deep relationships. I remember uh, when I would uh, go home uh, from college, um, I don't know, I guess it was maybe my sophomore or uh, junior year, and uh, I remember having a couple of conversations with a couple different men in the church that I grew up with. Um, one of them, his name was uh, Ira Taylor. Um, another one was a, a fellow by the name of Wilmer Hill. And, um, you know, I was in college, so I was driving, I was, you know, going to my car in the parking lot. And I remember on different times, those guys just stopping me and just asking how college was going. Uh, I grew up in New Orleans and I went to school at Mississippi State. And um, they're just asking how things are going, want to know how things are going on in my life. Now, here's the thing about those two guys. Um, they were just senior adults in my church. They didn't have, you know, they never taught in the children's ministry at one time. And they weren't youth Sunday school teachers or anything like that. These were just guys in the church. Um, their children, their grandchildren weren't in the church. It's not like I went to school with any of them. In my mind as a college student, these are just two old guys that go to my church. But they caught enough of the fact that we are all in community together. And so I'm home for break, and they just cared. And so they were asking, what's going on in your life? What's happening? How's school? What are your plans? What are you looking to do? Oh, I heard you're going to do summer missions. Or, oh, hey, I heard you're going to um, be a student minister to church this year. Tell me about it. What's happening? And it was all because they got the idea of biblical community and what a believer is supposed to look like and act like. They didn't have that normal interaction with me, but they still cared. And you see, that's what the church is supposed to be like. We're supposed to have that, that community, that relationship, that love and care for one another. Um, looking at how Jesus wants us to go from deep relationships, excuse me, from surface relationships to deep relationships. Uh, remember when we were looking at John 13, I said this was the beginning of a series of prayers. The, the, the disciples are still in the upper room with Jesus. Jesus is praying. And this is a prayer that Jesus has for the disciples. And he said, and now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, this is Jesus praying here in John 17. He says, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one just as we are one. The prayer that Jesus had for the disciples, that they would have the type of relationship that Jesus, the Son of God, had with God the Father from even before the beginning of time. The depth of the relationship that Jesus desired for them was that type of relationship, the type of relationship that he had with the Father. And when you look later in the chapter, 
In verse 20 uh, and 21, it says, I ask not only on behalf of those, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. That means he's praying for future believers. That's us. This is what Jesus prayed for us in the upper room. That they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When Jesus was in the upper room, hours away from being crucified, his prayer was for us that we would be unified together. That we would have love for one another because we're interacting with one another. We're spending time with one another. We're having that koinonia, that fellowship that's deeper than just sitting around eating fried chicken. God desires for us to have that close relationship so that we would be one together, that we would be one with the Father, and so that the world may believe that God sent Jesus and that we're his followers. Pastor and theologian Francis Schaeffer said, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. God's call for us is not just to grow a church and have great facilities. God wants us to be the church. And it starts when we're in true community and loving on one another. You know what would be cool today? As if we all took some steps to develop that. Um, you know, some of you serve in different places and you're able to have that interaction with folks. And that's good. We still want folks to serve. We still need folks to be able to serve. But wouldn't it be cool if after church today you just kind of look around and see some of the folks that are around you and say, hey, want to go out for lunch? I'm not saying that you have to pay for somebody else's lunch, but half of you are going to go out to eat anyway. So why don't you just pair up with other families and say, hey, let's go out together. Where do you want to go? Let's go find a place to eat. And so you can begin to do, develop those relationships. Because when that happens... God's going to grow his church when we have that community together and the world's going to know that there's something different about us. So we truly know Jesus and we've given credence to the message because the world takes notice when the church acts like the church. Pray with me. Father God, we are so thankful, um, most of all, that, uh, that you love us. And God, that you have not just called us into a relationship um, with yourself, but Father, you have called us into relationship with one another. God, I just pray that you would help us uh, as the body here, that you would help us to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, Father, just as we abound in love for you. God, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts in holiness, that, you, that we may be blameless before you, Father, as you seek to come. Uh, God, let us as a body of believers be faithful. God, help us to love each other. Father, help us to be willing to take the hard steps of trying to get to know the people around us. God, you want us to have deeper relationships than just waving to one another when we see each other at Walmart. Um, but Father, you want us to, God, be so in touch and so in tune with one another that when we see somebody that we love and care about in the pit, we are driven for action and we want to go get them. Uh, because we love them, and that's what people that love each other do. God, let us be faithful. 
God, let us be faithful as we seek to be the church. Um, if you'll just remain with your, your heads bowed and your, and your eyes closed. We've been talking about love for one another. And we've been talking about community. But the thing that drives that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you may be able to enjoy the benefits of the church and enjoy being with one another, but you're missing out on the whole point of the church, the whole point of the body, and that's a personal relationship with Christ. If you don't have that relationship, you don't have to leave here today without it. Uh, But if you desire to have Christ in your heart, to allow him to be your Lord and Savior, uh, just call out to him in prayer today. And just pray to God and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that my sin has separated me from you. Father, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. And then if you pray that, just say, God, thanks for saving me. If you pray that today, God's true to his word and and, uh, you're now a follower of Christ. Um, Bible tells us that for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And God has taken care of your sin problem. And the cool thing is that he's now brought you into a body of believers. Um, and we get to be family. Um, if you made that decision today, we want to know about it. We'd love to talk to you about it afterwards. So I encourage you to find one of us and to tell us that you made that decision for Christ today. Stand and let's pray before we continue worshiping. God, thank you for your love for us. God, thank you for giving us one another. God, I pray as a body of believers that we would be faithful as we seek to be in community with one another. And God, that you'll use us and use the love that we show for one another just to be a testament of the world that you're a God that loves us and you've provided your church to make a difference for your name's sake.